are in a series called Before There Were Kings. You know what? It's frankly a mistitled series, right? Because here's the problem. There was nothing but kings in the day and age that we're about to study. We're in a book of the Bible called Judges. It's really kind of difficult to get your arms around it. Judges were not guys in black robes and made decisions and banged their gavel. Judges were people that made a decision. I am sick and tired of what I'm underneath. I'm sick and tired of the oppression, of the despair, the anxiety, the loneliness, and I'm gonna do something about it because I believe God wants to do something about it. I'm not gonna be underneath unrighteousness. I'm gonna undertake courageously what God wants me to do. And God always wants to set people free. This is a great night to be here because we're gonna tell you that until you have a righteous king, the series should actually be titled Before There Was a Righteous King who loved God and shunned evil, who stamped out wickedness in the land, surrounded himself with wise counselors. Before there was a righteous king, everybody was a king. There was nothing but kings. Let me just show you some verses that show up again and again in the book of Judges. In Judges chapter 17, verse six, you're gonna see this. In those days, there was no king singular in Israel. And so, Everybody acted like they were a king. They could do whatever they wanted to whoever they wanted. A little bit later in Judges 18, verse one, in those days, there was no king. And so it talks about some horrible things that happened. And then the book closes in Judges chapter 21, verse 25. In those days, there was no king and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Proverbs 14, 12 says this, there's a way that seems right to man, but in the end is the way of death. And specifically, I'm going to tell you what was happening. Those that were strongest were oppressing those that were weakest. Those that were um, entitled by their strength and position to do whatever they wanted, which is kind of always the way it happens, right? When you saw the rise of communism in Russia, it wasn't because there was no government leader. People were never living in a commune. People were never living the same. There was always a ruling elite that was oppressive to the masses that said, what we're gonna do is make it equal for everybody while they didn't live like everybody else lived. And that unbiblical form of human relationship oppressed people for generations until finally some people stood up and put their lives at risk and said, I'm sick of what I'm underneath and we're gonna undertake a revolution. And you know, God wants to call you to a revolution. Specifically, I'm excited about tonight because I'm gonna talk about the only female person who stepped up and she stepped up because the guys were just getting along just fine because they were strong enough to oppress women and take advantage of them. And it's always women and children that suffer when men don't do what they're supposed to do. One of the things that discourages me is that sometimes when you get around people who rightly understand that God made male and female, is that women think that they can't be strong. You need to know something. This will never be the country. This will never be the community. This will never be the church that God wants us to be if we don't have strong, godly women. You shouldn't worry, gals, that you might come off as too strong. You should worry that you're going to be anything less than a godly woman. You should worry that somebody is going to tell you that to be something significant, you got to be like a man. No, you don't. 
And in fact, I'm gonna tell you, in a world where there aren't enough men being men, we need more women to be like Deborah. And so men, you're about to look at a text tonight which calls you out. And it's gonna basically say this. If you won't stand up against wickedness, then I'll let a girl do it. Now you might go, that offends me, Todd, if I'm a woman, right? But let me just say this, okay? It is not a sign of courageous men when they send their women to war. I don't know if you've been looking, but that's increasingly what, what we've been doing around here and what is happening because women and men are different physically and in so many other ways. We cannot come up with a standardized way in order to test our young recruits to make sure they're fit for battle. We can't say you have to do three pull-ups anymore because we're saying, hey, men and women can do all these different same things. Now listen, there are plenty of women who can do three pull-ups, right? I think somebody out there might be saying, Todd, are you saying women aren't strong? Let me throw you in a ring with Ronda Rousey circa 2014 and let her arm bar you into submission, big boy. And she could, all right? I have no doubt that Miss Rousey would have me tapping out. But what I don't need to do is tap out on what is true. What we do need to do is help our women understand that you don't need to worry if you're strong because God designed you to be beautiful and strong, not just in his sight, but in everybody's sight. You're about to see a model here that you can follow. Her name is Deborah. The word Deborah, name Deborah means honeybee. She is sweetness to her friends and she is the sting of death to the enemies of God. And Deborah is ready and she is surrounded by a bunch of weak, feckless, corrupt, cowardly men. Gals, if that is your state when you walk in and I go, where are all the good men? Let me just tell you, you just worry about being God's gal. You make your heart so much like God wants you to be that a man has to run after God in order to find you. And when you do that, let me tell you what'll happen. When you do that, there's gonna be nothing but godly men courting you. And you don't want to marry a guy that you put up with something less than what God intends. I am a dad, I've got six kids. I have three girls and three boys. And so I thought it might be important to raise them the way God wanted me to raise them. It might shock you, but I didn't go when I was raising my three little girls going, how can I make these three kids awesome fathers? Never crossed my mind. When I was raising my boys, I didn't say, what can I do to make these men good mothers? Never crossed my mind. I did, however, start out by saying, hey, how can I let these three be godly men? How can I let these three be godly women? I'm just gonna give you the first two and you see if you don't see the first two show up. When I sat down, by the way, I, I, will, I will put this out on social media night, the whole thing with um, five different characteristics, about 40 some odd different verses, uh, little, little taglines that go with each one. And this is the very first thing, ladies, I taught my little girls and it looks like somebody taught it to Deborah and to the glory of God and to the salvation of Israel, Deborah did this. I told my little girls, number one, this is your job. Your very first job is to seek God first. And specifically, this was the tagline that went with it. You reject the lie that you need some prince on a white horse to come and kiss you and give you significance. You don't need a man. 
You don't need a baby in your belly or a ring on your finger. You don't need somebody to validate you. You are already beautiful in my sight. You are already valuable in God's sight. And one day you may choose to unite yourself with a man who has run hard to God and found you there, but you reject the lie that anything or anyone other than Jesus Christ and God can satisfy you. You are not vulnerable. You are not needy. You are complete in Christ and lacking in nothing. The sufficiency of Jesus is already there for you. And you are not somebody only if a man says, you're beautiful or I'll make you mine. Because God has already said, you're mine. And I made you woman and it is glorious. That was the first thing I taught my little girls. And because of that, they didn't get tore through by a bunch of guys and their insecurity that were trying to validate their importance by having some girl for a second feel important enough to come underneath their wing where they would exploit them and toy with them until they moved on to somebody that they thought could make them more of a man in some other way. So far, my uh, first two gals have dated two guys and they married them, each of them. I mean, my first little girl dated one guy, married him. Second girl dated one guy, married him. All through high school, I'm saying, why would you wanna go pursue a guy or let a guy pursue you when he has no intention to finish? So we're not gonna start unless we've got a plan. And if our plan isn't to finish, then let's keep moving on and do something valuable. Deborah understood that. Number one, you seek God. He's got everything you need. And by the way, if you find a guy who's seeking God, he's gonna be doubly good to you because he's gonna give you somebody to encourage you the rest of your life. Little girls, <laughs> women, godly friends, can I just beg you, if you didn't have a daddy that taught you that, that you don't need a man to validate you. And he will never meet your needs. He will use you and leave you unless he's God's man. Secondly, I told my little girls, your job is to speak faithfully. Specifically, you love others with godly wisdom and boldness and kindness as a faithful completer of others. That is what God made you to do. You don't ever have to be silent. When it says women are to be quiet in church in the scripture, that same word is used just a few verses before where it says, pray for kings and all those that are in authority so we might live a quiet life. It doesn't mean don't speak. It means men are doing what men are supposed to do so the women don't have to go, would you step up and do what you're supposed to do so I can do what I'm supposed to do? Because that's the way God designed it. And when you start to have women do what men are supposed to do, it is chaos. And when you have men start acting like women, it is chaos. What, uh, yeah, okay, it is. Uh, I mean, I, I, I gotta tell you, friends, God loves you. Don't be scared to be strong. Be scared that someone's gonna tell you you gotta be a man. Now you watch Deborah, because she does these two things, and she does it well. I'm gonna read you just Judges 4. Deborah, um, story is told historically in Judges chapter four, and then in chapter five, she just sings a song. And so um, we'll just read Judges 4, but here we go. It says, then the sons of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord. I'm gonna come back to that, but I'm gonna read through, and then we're gonna teach you some, some truth right here. Um, and the Lord sold them into the, land, into the hand of Jabin, the king of Cana, who reigned in Hazor. And the commander of his army was a guy named Sisera, who lived in Herosheth Hagoyim. The sons of Israel cried to the Lord. For this guy, Sisera, who was just a mercenary and a warmonger, had 900 iron chariots. 
and he oppressed the sons of Israel severely for 20 years. And nobody was really that bothered by the fact they were underneath wickedness, except Deborah the bee. It says right here, now Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of Lapidoth, who was a lapdog to evil, we'll get there, was judging Israel at the time. She used to sit under the palm tree of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim, and the sons of Israel came up to her for judgment. Now she sent and summoned Barak, the son of Abinoam, and from Kadesh Naphtali, and said to him, Behold, the Lord, the God of Israel, has commanded, Go and march to Mount Tabor, and take with you 10,000 men uh, from the sons of Naphtali and from the sons of Zebulon. Now let me just tell you something. What I could do right now is take out a map and show you these places. This is not Greek mythology. This is not Hindu mythology. This is not the Quran that is just beautiful poetic writings. This is what's called historical narrative. This happened. I have stood in these places. I was just a couple of weeks ago at Mount Tabor. A little bit ago, I was right where Deborah and Sisera and Barak went to war together. This is historical narrative, and what you're seeing is God is at work revealing who he is through a group of people that the whole world may know who he is because he loves people and doesn't want them to be underneath wickedness, so he's revealing himself and showing who he is so folks could run to him, and you're gonna have that choice and that opportunity tonight. So these are real places, 20 miles apart, 30 miles apart, and these are real people in history, and nobody debates this. And it says that what she did is um, that she had summoned this guy to come. Verse seven, I'm gonna draw out to you Sisera, the commander of Jabin's army. Now, by the way, Jabin's not a name. It's, 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 a, it's a title, kind of like Pharaoh. There's a number of different pharaohs. There's a number of different Canaanite kings that would go by the name of Jabin or Jabin. And so um, she said, I'm gonna give you the king of Canaanite's army with his chariots and his many troops um, I'm going to draw them out to the river Kishon, and I will give him into your hand. So Barak said, if you'll go with me, mommy, and I can rub your little skirt when we go to war, I will go with you. But if you aren't going to go, I'm not going to go. That's what he said. It's kind of there in the Hebrew. Verse 9. She said, I will surely go with you. Nevertheless, the honor shall not be yours. Now watch this. All right. Um, but the journey you're about to take, for the Lord will sell Sisera into the hands of a woman. This mighty charioteer, this, this, uh, this leader of this wicked, marauding, oppressing force, a woman will take him out. And it's not Ronda Rousey. It's going to be some Bedouin old goat. And literally, that's what she is. All right? A Bedouin woman, an old, her name means mountain goat. You're about to meet her. So uh, it's an old goat. It's going to wipe out the great warrior, all right? So Barak called Zebulon and Naphtali together to Kadesh, and 10,000 men went up with him. Deborah also went up with him. Now Heber the Kenite had separated himself from the Kenites, from the sons of Hobab, the father-in-law of Moses. So what we're going to see here is that there's an old tribe of people, non-Jews, that lived and kind of were around Israel. They used to be um, God-fearing non-Jews. But these folks had broke off a little bit and had adopted now back some of the wicked ways of the Canaanites. And, um, and it says here that this guy had pitched his tent far away as the oak in uh, Zaninim, which is near Kadesh, which is just, if you care, it's right there by the bottom of the Sea of Galilee today. Then they told um, Sisera that Barak, the son of Abinoam, had gone up uh, to Mount Tabor. 
And so Sisera called together all his chariots, 900 iron chariots, and all the people who were with him from Heresheth Hagoyim to the river Kishon, which runs right through a valley of Jezreel, also called the Valley of Megiddo, home one day to a battle called the Battle of Armageddon. It is the only big, wide, broad valley in all of mountainous Israel. It's where battles have always been fought, and there will be another one there one day. But watch this. Deborah said to Barak, Arise, for this is the day in which the Lord has given Sisera into your hands. Behold, the Lord has gone out before you. So Barak went down from Mount Tabor, which is right across that valley from where they were, with 10,000 men following him. And the Lord routed Sisera and all his chariots and all his army with the edge of the sword before Barak. And Sisera alighted from his chariot, which means got off, and fled away on foot. I'm going to tell you why he ran from his chariot in a moment. But Barak pursued the chariots and the army as far as Herosheth Hagoyim. He came back from whence he came. And all the army of Sisera fell by the edge of the sword. Not even one was left. Now Sisera fled away on foot to the tent of Yael, the wife of Heber the Kenite. For there was peace between Yabin, the king of Hazor, and the house of Heber the Kenite. But there was no peace between this woman because she knew the wickedness of men. And she also knew that what men did after wars, they would take spoil. You'll find in Judges 5, um, that Sisera's mama is sitting there going, I wonder where my boy is. Why hasn't he come home from war with all his chariots? Where's the thunder of the horses that would come right here? And they basically said, well, who knows? He's probably with one, two of his concubines having his way with the spoils of war. And you can find out, yeah, had had about enough of that. And so she says, come on in, Sisera. She didn't know what he was running from. She just said, turn aside, my master, turn aside to me. Don't be afraid. And he turned aside to her tent and she covered him with a rug. He said to her, please give me a little water to drink for I am thirsty. So she opened a bottle of milk and gave him a drink and she covered him. And we're gonna stop right there, not to ruin the story. Are you ready? Let me teach you something. You come in here, you go, hey man, I'm giving up my Tuesday night to come here. I'm tuning in a podcast and you're giving me all this ancient history. What relevance does this have with me? Listen, I've already given you some about what'll happen if you just let God be who God intends to be in your life. There is one hero in the story, it's God. And there's only one person that trusts the hero. And she is ready. Because she doesn't need, if there's no man who will do what a man will do, God will do it for her. And she seeks first his kingdom and his righteousness and you're about to see everything is added to her. She has not bought the lie that she needs anything other than God in her life. And when you get one person who will do that, male or female, you're about to see blessing unfold. So let's learn from this. So this is important right here because you're gonna be studying this book. And again, remember, the key to this book is that there was nothing but kings. Everybody thought they could make up their own right and wrong. We talked last week about how lies pervade themselves throughout culture. And there is a lie in our culture today which says there is no absolute truth. There's a lie which says, if it feels good, do it. If it seems right to you, it must be all right. That is always going to lead to chaos. And let me tell you something, wickedness loves chaos because the only way that people put up with tyrants and losses of freedom is when there's so much chaos, they go, you know what? I'd rather live under a wicked tyrant than to have this much chaos. But there is an alternative. You call people to live in a way where they don't need a tyrant to rule over them because they've dealt with a tyrant of sin in their heart. And if we don't quickly do that, individually and corporately as a nation, you will see more and more and more and more freedoms be taken from you. And what will eventually happen 
is they'll say, we got to take all your guns because you guys kill each other with your guns all the time. And guess who takes them? Men who are part of the wickedness. And what do you think what happens when some men get all the chariots? And then they continue in their wickedness towards you. You go, well, we got a problem here because it's not easy now to discuss with them whether or not we like their kind of wickedness. And we don't have any more chariots or any more guns. That's why our founders said, listen, we're going to let people have guns. That's why also our founders said our Constitution is wholly unfit to, to um, lead an immoral and unredeemed people. And if there is anything increasing in our land today, you guys are seeing it. We have no longer, we quit doing moral formation. We quit teaching um, virtue and honor in schools. We mock at courage and valor. And then we're shocked to find chaos in our midst. And what we'll do is some people say, what you need is let us take your guns. What you need is let us take away your freedom. We'll show you peace while they prosper and you're in bondage. That's what was going on in a very different way they got here. But when you don't love God, you love necessarily something less than God. When you don't love what is holy, you love necessarily something that is unholy, and it will not work out for you. Now, what is gonna happen right here is this is the third cycle that has happened. I'll just make a little note for you. The first one happened, and a guy named Othniel steps up, and they had been um, if you will, oppressed for eight years. And then they were oppressed for 18 years because they repeated the same cycle. And a guy named Ehud spoke up, but that was 18 years. And now, 20 years. Do you see what's happening here? Judgment gets harder, it gets longer, it gets closer together. This is the cycle that you see. We put this slide up last week, and you'll see what happens is that there was um, some sense of salvation and goodness in the land. And what happens when things are going well? We don't think we need God. We think we can just do what we want to do. And we leave God. We go our own way. That's called sin. And when we operate in a way that seems right to us, it leads to death, not to life, which puts us in bondage, which makes us go, I don't like being in bondage. And then God in his grace is going to rescue us. This happens seven times in this book. Now watch this. Seven times the people are in bondage and seven times in this book they're delivered. I'm gonna read you key verses in the book of Judges and you in your brilliance as biblical scholars will see the thing that happens that causes deliverance to people every time. It's what your generation needs. It's what I've been trying to do as a leader in this country, in this generation. Watch this. We'll start... Um, in, uh, let's start in Judges chapter three, verse 10. And it says this, it says, the spirit of the Lord came upon him. This is Othniel, the first judge, the first deliverer. And it says, and he judged Israel wasn't doing right. We're going to help it do right. And we're going to wage war against wickedness. And so the Lord, it says, says he wiped out this king of Mesopotamia who had been the oppressing force. Watch this. I'm going to skip over Deborah because it says it differently for her. In Judges chapter 6, verse 34, it says this. It says, so the spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon and he blew a trumpet. And it says all the Abizirites were called together to follow him. Look at Judges 11, okay? Here's another deliverer. It's the Jephthah. Now the spirit of the Lord came upon Jephthah. You go to Judges 13, 
He's a guy named Samson. And the spirit of the Lord began to stir him. You see the same thing in Judges 14, um, verse 6 and verse 19. And then you'll see it again in 15. What is the phrase that showed up every time God was going to move people out of wickedness and into a place of prosperity? The spirit of the Lord came upon And let me just take this outside of the context of a nation, because you who are trying to go your own way, who are trying to figure it out, maybe you weren't raised by a righteous Deborah. You weren't raised by a a righteous daddy. And so you've been basically trying to make your way, listen to the world, listen to others, you're your own king, your own queen, doing everything you could. But here's the truth. You know you're under oppression. You've tried to find guys that would validate you and they've oppressed you and used you and left you out there. You wonder if anybody could ever love you again. You're a guy that maybe has had some success, but you realize that success is fleeting and it's not successful enough. And you're living under the wickedness of trying to validate yourself the way the world says you should validate yourself. And you're gonna continue to suffer and be under wickedness and oppression until this happens to you. Until there is a righteous king in your life. Mark my word, God's not trying to rip you off, he's trying to set you free. He's trying to make you the kind of self-leader, self-king that doesn't lead to self-destruction. The scripture says again and again, when the wicked wicked rule that the people groan. And here's the truth, you know that. You know that because wickedness has been ruling in a lot of your hearts and you're like, I am sick and tired of this being over me. And guess what you need? The same thing the nation needs when wickedness is ruling over it. You need the spirit of the Lord to come upon you and you need to start to see that God is not somebody to be managed or avoided, that God's not somebody to be appeased and bought off and paid tax to by doing religious things. You need to realize that God is good, his word is true, and that disobeying him doesn't hurt him other than he loves you. And I gotta tell you, you know, um, one of the things that happened to me is that I was given the privilege of bringing life into this world. And I gotta tell you as a dad, nothing broke my heart more when I understood things that they couldn't understand in their little three-year-old, 13-year-old self. And I had to ask them to trust me and they wouldn't sometimes trust me and they'd throw fits. Or they would get even more freedom when they're a little older and they'd wanna go their own way because all I wanted was for blessing to come into their life. And every single time I would watch my kids go, I don't know if I'm gonna trust you. I go, I kinda get it because I'm not perfect. And I've made some mistakes and you've seen me act selfishly. But every time I would watch them have a hard time trusting me, God would just say, hey Todd, I haven't made mistakes. And I don't ever do anything out of selfishness. And man, I love you and it breaks my heart every time you don't trust me and you let wickedness reign over you and the one who comes to steal, kill, and destroy be your father. He's the father of lies and I hate it when my kid believes lies and I love you and I wanna make a way back for you to me. This is the book of Judges that just keeps happening and the Lord is trying to raise up individuals who will stop doing evil again in the sight of the Lord, not because it, 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 it hurts God, other than that God loves you. And so the Lord sold them into the hand. That's what God does. He loves you enough to let you have the consequences of your actions. Don't be deceived. 
God is not mocked. A man will reap what he sows. This is just a fact. Some of you goes, well, Todd, I've been kind of doing wicked things for a while, and it really isn't that bad. Well, the Bible really will address you in that, okay? Let me just tell you something. This thing called the law of the harvest. This is the law of the harvest, okay? The law of the harvest is you reap what you sow. In other words, what you put in, you're going to get out. But here's the thing about the harvest is when you put seeds in, you don't reap that right away. The law law of the harvest is you reap what you sow. You reap it later than you sow it. And you also reap more than you sow because you put an apple seed in the ground. What do you get? One apple? No, man, you get a whole tree. You reap what you sow. You reap it later than you sow it. And you reap more than you sow. And it's just that old statement. I think we said it again last week. Sin will take you farther than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you want to pay. And you'll sit there one day and go, how did I get here? And here's the crazy thing. Proverbs 19.2 says this. It's not good for a man to be without knowledge. He who makes haste with his feet errs, gets on his chariot and rides towards wickedness. It says the foolishness of man, Proverbs 19.3, the foolishness now of man subverts his way or ruins his way, and then his heart rages against God. Have you ever done that? Have you ever been in your chariot, not listening to God, not following the spirit of the Lord, doing what you want to do, and you're in this cycle again of pain, and you go, God, how could you let this keep happening to me? And he's like, I didn't want it to happen to you but I'm not going to rape you. I'm not going to make you do something. If that's, if that's the way you want to run, I'll stand there and weep and my toes will be at the edge of the, of the, of the you know, ranch ready to run to you when you turn back to me and when you've had enough of wickedness. This is Ecclesiastes chapter 8, verse 11. Because the sentence against an evil deed is not executed quickly, in other words, because you don't reap immediately what you sow, Ecclesiastes 8, 11 says this. It says, therefore, the hearts of men among them are given fully to do evil. Have you ever gotten more emboldened by that, right? You ever cheated on a test, got away with it, and go, well, I think I'll study even less next time. You don't do it once and go, okay, I got away with that, I prospered, it was excellent, let's never do that again. You don't do that. You wait until it stings. And I'm just gonna tell you, God loves you. And so he lets you experience what you choose so that you can just see that's not something you want to keep choosing. Some of you guys have gotten to a really dark place, and you know what I'm talking about when I say that judgment always gets harder and longer and closer together. Proverbs 29.1. It says, He who hardens his neck after much reproof will suddenly be broken beyond remedy. This is the progression of sin. First, it startles us. Like, wow, that was pretty. Then it becomes pleasing to us, then easy, then delightful, then frequent, then habitual, then a way of life, and then our guilt is gone. We feel dead to the world. Then we're obstinate. There's nothing wrong with this. Then I'm never, you're never going to tell me to stop doing this. And then we live in the despair and sadness of damnation of our own choosing. It's the way it always goes. And I just want to say to some of you guys that are here and you walked in with some scars, man, be thankful for those scars. Be thankful for the pain, for the despair, for the anxiety, for the bitterness, for the hangovers, for the DUIs, for the STDs, for the unwanted pregnancies, for the loneliness. Be thankful for it. But turn from that vomit. Don't eat any more of it. Your father loves you. And he, he can restore the years the locusts have eaten. You need to know something. 
I don't care where you've been or what you've done. Who you are is somebody that God can use. Can I say that to you again? I don't care who you are or where you've been. What you are is somebody that God wants to forgive and heal and restore and use. And here's what's so amazing. This room is full of people like this. It is full of people who used to be just professional vomit eaters. Who just go, what am I doing? God, this isn't your fault. And the kindness of God in the form of the spirit of the Lord fell upon them when they repented and acknowledged the wickedness of their own queenship, their own kingship. And God lifted their head and forgive them. And he made them beautiful. And they are now Deborah's. And they are Daniel's. And they're helping others out of wickedness. And you can be next. He says, the sons of Israel cried to the Lord. This, this, I just don't want to rush past this, right? They cried to the Lord. That's all you have to do, all right? Some of you guys, like Israel in this section, have for 20 years lived underneath wickedness. And you're, you're just like, Todd, I, I don't know what to do. I just want to say, well, why don't you cry out to the Lord? Because he is gracious. Can I just read to you? What a guy who actually had a pretty good 20-year run and then he tubed it, what he did, he did exactly what you did. He was eating not at vomit, he was eating at king's tables and then he just couldn't resist people who tried to convince him that vomit is where life was. His name is David. And this is what David said. This is Psalm 32, he says, how blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven and whose sin is covered. Psalm 32. David's saying, you want to know who's blessed? You want to know who's happy? It's the man to whom the Lord doesn't impute iniquity, doesn't give him what he deserves, in whose spirit there is no deceit. In other words, not that he's just, not just a liar, but his spirit isn't lying to him. Listen, your spirit's lying to you. If you think there's something in this world that's going to make your spirit happy, it's just not. David said, when I kept silent about my wickedness and my sin, my body wasted away through my groaning all day long because David was a righteous king, made an unrighteous decision and tried to hide it and it just didn't work. There's only one way to get that out and it's got to purge and then you got to not go eat it again. Through my groaning all day long, day and night, your hand, God, was heavy upon me. You felt that? It's called anxiety. It's called depression. It's called loneliness. It's called hopelessness. Is it inside of you? My vitality was drained away as with the fever heat of summer. And then you see that Hebrew word there, which just means rest, just musical interlude and just, this is who he was. And then he says, but I acknowledge my sin to you. It is Judges chapter four, verse three. I cried out to the Lord. In my iniquity, I didn't hide. I told you, this is what's inside of me. It's got to come out. I'll confess what I've done to the Lord. He already knows it. He just wants to know that I know it. And so I'm going to say, Lord, this isn't good. And God forgave the guilt of my sin. Can I just say this to you? If you got that thing in here this morning, I mean this evening, I, can just, I would just beg you, just get it out. God knows it's there. It's just not going to get better. It's not going to pass. You just got to go, this is what I have eaten. And it's got to come out. Verse six, this is for you. Therefore, this is what I would have said. If I was with Israel during the time of Judges chapter four, I would have said, Israel, let everyone who is godly pray 
in a time when you may be found. Because surely in a flood of great waters, there's a day, the one who hardens his neck after much reproof suddenly will be broken beyond remedy. That's not you today. That's not you. I, I can say that with confidence because you're still here and alive to listen to this. It's appointed for men to die once and after this comes judgment. It is possible that your heart can become so hard that you'll never turn. But my God says, Todd, you never, you never assume you meet somebody like that. So I'm not going to assume it tonight. You just right now in your seat just go, Lord, help me listen to this guy as he keeps talking. Help, help, help pick the lock of my hard heart. Help me believe that you can restore the wickedness that I've lived under. And just watch him go to work. Let everyone who is godly pray to you in a time when he may be found. Surely in the flood of great waters, they will not reach him. God, you're my hiding place. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with songs of deliverance. Let me just rest in that truth. That's what God wants you to know. We'll just say one more thing about this, and then we're going to tie in. Because remember, this book, you're going to see it seven times. Seven times they go through this cycle. It's just, it's, it's symbolic. It's a picture of, this is just perfect evil. You keep going. And some of you guys... What's happened is you have purged the wickedness before because you got the DUI, you had the unwanted um, pregnancy, you had the STD, you had a boyfriend that broke your heart. You swear you'd never go back to that broken cistern again. And yet you do because what you experienced was a sorrow like the world experiences and not a godly sorrow. You're like, well, what, Todd, what are you even talking about? This is what I'm talking about. This is your scripture. This is God talking to you. This is 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10. And this is what you've got to be. The sorrow that is according to the will of God is the sorrow that produces repentance, which is a word that says change of mind, not just a sadness. What you're going to see in the book of Judges, I want you to watch this. This is why I'm teaching you this. Because in the book of Judges, you're going to see them go through that cycle. Things are good. I don't think I need God. Things aren't good. God help me. Things are good. Have you ever done that? Let's just be honest for a second, right? Oh God, don't let this blow what it's going to blow. And you got away with it and you're like, okay. Oh God, don't let this thing, you know, don't let this thing have two lines. Oh, I got away with it. Oh God, let this feeling go away. I don't know if I can live without it, but let it go away. I won't do it again. And it's just, you're sorry for the way you feel and for the oppression that you're experiencing, but you're not sorry that you have no king that is righteous. You're not sorry enough to stop ruling your own life. You want to just kind of keep going back to that. That's what this book is about. But praise God. There was somebody that the Spirit of the Lord came upon, and I pray you find it tonight. Sons of Israel cried to the Lord because there was this guy, he had 900 chariots. Chariots weren't like tanks. Chariots were basically this. When, 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 war, when armies would come and they'd start fighting, there would always be a time when, when there'd be kind of a, a give and take, and they would start to maybe withdraw and run away. And if the other side had chariots, they could track you down and wipe you out. And those 900 chariots that were rule, running all around Israel that the Canaanites had because um, they had understood how to craft things out of iron had kept Israel from saying, we don't like your wickedness. Now, Israel had its own brand of wickedness. Just mark my word, guys. The Democratic Party, the Republican Party, it's got its own brand of wickedness. And until you get leaders that are going to rule, not as Democrats or Republicans, but rule, being ruled by a loving God, 
and, and especially if they start to take away your right to raise your voice and to assemble and if necessary, wage war against wickedness, then you better get ready for King George to rule over you. And you're not gonna like it. And what they're gonna try and do is group you up into little classes and say, okay, you women, okay, you people who wanna express yourself this way, okay, you people wanna express yourself this way, okay, you people have been hurt before, we'll put you in all a bunch of little identity politics, and then we're gonna tell each of you, we'll give you what you want, and we'll collaborate you all together and get power from you, and then I'll be in power. That's all I really want anyway, because that's what unrighteous, wicked men always do. And they'll tell you they got your best interest in mind, but just watch the health care they vote for themselves and the health care they give you. Watch the benefits they vote for themselves and the benefits they give you. Watch the guards they put out in front of their house and the guards they say you don't need in front of yours. What had happened is that the Israelites had no way in their own wickedness to go, that's more wicked. But there was a prophetess. Praise God. There was no men. Men were cowards. Men were wounding and exploiting one another and exploiting women, but there was a prophetess. Praise God. The wife of Lipidoth, his name means torch or lamp, but the lamp was out. This brother wasn't teaching people the word of God. He was too busy living his wicked life. But she was judging Israel at the time. Now watch this. This is beautiful. She used to sit under the palm tree, a place of rest, of fruitfulness, of refreshing, of shade, of sweetness in a season of bitterness. That's Deborah. That's anybody who is, have you ever met some, do you guys know Deborahs? Right? Don't you know somebody, man, when I'm around that girlfriend, man, that girl, she just, she's refreshing. She's an oasis in this despairing life. And there's just something about her. And that something is the spirit of the Lord. And men in their brokenness, people in their brokenness had nowhere else to go, and so they would go to her for judgment. Like, will you tell us what you think? And you know what Deborah would do? Guess what prophets do? Prophets either tell you what God's going to do, or prophets tell you what God has already said needs to be done. They are forth tellers. They bring forth what is there, or they say, hey, this is what's going to come. And very rarely does God do that second one. He says, if you want to find people who can tell you things are going to happen, and they call themselves prophets, that's awesome. They don't just speak, though, in vague generalities. They're not Christian fortune cookies. They're very specific. And he says, if they get one wrong, you got yourself a bad prophet. But what your Deborahs should do is they should open the word of God and say, this is true. Let me bring it forward to you. And it should be life-giving, fruit-bearing, an oasis in your desert. And so she didn't have the general sitting at her feet, so she summoned him. She said, boy, why don't you come down here in verse 6? So she sent and summoned Barak. His name means lightning. And this brother's flashing around doing anything but what he should be doing. This knucklehead wasn't sitting at the feet of wisdom, and he didn't have wisdom himself. But praise God, this courageous woman who does what godly women do, which is speak faithfully. She couldn't be quiet in church because the men weren't speaking the truth. 
She'd been praying for kings and those who were in authority and they weren't godly people and she wasn't gonna live a quiet and tranquil life. So she just stepped up and said, we're gonna fix this. Boy, you're the general, come here. Let me tell you what God's gonna do. He's gonna use your faithless self if you'll just listen to me. And there was something about Deborah that made this boy listen. She sent and summoned him and said, has not the Lord That's really what it means when it says, behold, some of your Bibles might even say that. Has not the God of Israel commanded, don't put up with this wickedness, this godlessness, this Canaanite way. You don't have to live that way in Dallas, in Houston. You don't have to live that way in Missouri. You can live as people who've been set free from the fleshly lusts which wage war against your soul. Somebody in this generation has got to say, we don't have to listen to their... um, progressive ideology. We're going to go back to the ancient past where the good way is, and we're going to walk in it, and we are going to flourish, and we're going to set up palm trees all across this country, and we're going to tell people to come and find rest. Surrender to God. We're going to change the world through the lives of young adults. But we need young adults who are doing this. She says, Barak, man up. God doesn't like wickedness and oppression. Thus says the Lord, go. And he says, I'm going to draw out Sisera. God says this. I'm going to bring Sisera to you, the commander of Jabin's army with his chariots and his many troops, and I'm going to bring him down to the Megiddo Valley that the river Kishon runs through it. Now, what we know happened historically is that what God did is he turned on the rain. Now, let me ask you a question. This is a big field. It's in a paved highway. When do chariots become Unhelpful. In mud. And God says, I'm going to draw them out. I'm going to turn on my sprinkler system. And we're going to clean this place up. And so Barak just says, will you go with me? I don't trust God, but you seem to. And she just says, I'll go, but the honor's not going to be yours. Because there's never honor when you don't do your job. So she rose and went, gathered, Deborah went with them. We know the story. Sisera in verse 13 called together the chariots. We read it, 900 of them, and all the people who were with them. And they came down, and the river Kishon, we know from chapter 5, it overflowed with lightning and with uh, uh, storms, and the river overflowed and flooded that valley like it still does today. And those men didn't know how to fight off their chariots. And it was a game changer. And they ran 15 miles back home. And Barak and the boys chased them. And then Sisera, everybody was dead, but Sisera was still alive. So Sisera runs about 40, 50 miles back up by the Sea of Galilee. And here comes this old mountain goat that's sick and tired of being sick and tired. And her husband was buddies with him, but she wasn't buddies with him because she knew what wicked men did. And so Jael went to meet him, verse 18, and said, turn aside, my master, turn aside to me. Don't be afraid. He turned aside, threw her in her tent, and she covered him with a rug, and he said, please give me a little water to drink, for I'm thirsty. So she opened a bottle of milk. When do you drink milk? Whenever you open a bag of Oreos. That's when you drink milk. <laughs> when you have a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, that's when you drink milk. And apparently late at night, to make you sleepy, right? Isn't it interesting? Watch this. Deborah's a bee. What do bees make? 
What do goats give you? Milk. Israel's the land of milk and honey. And when you start to let milk and honey and you believe in God, you watch peace come to the land. This is just beautiful what God did right here. He gave her a little milk and he said, you go stand in the doorway of the tent. I'll tell you what to do. But the mountain goat took a tent peg and seized a hammer in her hand and went secretly to him and drove the peg into his temple and it went through into the ground for he was sound asleep. And I love this. The Bible makes an observation. So he died. <laughs> I guess so. When a mountain goat drives a peg through your ear. Here's a picture of it, a painting of it that's been uh, captured a number of times. Look at that little mountain goat. She looks like a mountain goat, doesn't she? Boom, <laughs> right there. That little midget woman, a Bedouin, a gypsy. Let me just tell you something, man. When God's ready to get rid of wickedness, he'll get rid of wickedness, and he doesn't need your help. But he's willing to use you if you just say, Lord, here I am, use me. So here comes Barak. He's all excited. He's going to get his kill, right? I just love this. And uh, it says in verse 22, it says, And behold, as Barak pursued Sisera, Jael came out to meet him and said, Come, I'll show you, coward, the man you're looking for. I nailed his head to the ground. <laughs> and behold, Sisera was lying dead with the tent peg in his temple. Uh, that's awful that I just laughed at that right there. But let me just tell you, that's biblical. When the wicked reign, people groan. But when righteousness comes, the people rejoice. Wouldn't you laugh and rejoice if I came into your life and said, I'm going to take that, that thing that's oppressing you, and I'm going, to, I'm going to take my little mountain goat courage of self, and I'm going to drive a nail through its head, and we're going to look at it. It can't go nowhere. It's dead, and it's stapled to the ground. You'd be like, you, you can do that? <laughs> right? See the Wizard of Oz. Watch what happens when all the munchkins see the red, you know, the shoes and the striped socks with a house on top of it. They'll go, <laughs> ding dong, ding, ding, dandy dong. The witch is dead. That is so biblical. It is. Thank you. And so I just want to tell you, God's just waiting for you to say, Spirit of God, fall on me. Kill the wickedness through the cross of Jesus Christ and the compassion and the love. You're not mad at me. I've been a witch. Heal me. Forgive me. Help me not be a vomit giver and eater and make me somebody who sits under a palm tree and gives rest and whose life is restored and who is honey and sweetness to the land. I'll give you four quick points. I'll do this in five minutes. You ready? Number one, just know who you are, right? Just know who you are. Deborah didn't say, I'm a man. You want to go, Cicero? Let's go. She just said, I'm a woman, and I'm just going to find, I'm going to preach the word of God until somebody listens to it. Girls, you don't have to be pregnant or wear pants to be valuable to God. Just be God's woman. Speak the truth in love. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Show true beauty. Stay humble. Live for him. Serve the Lord. 
I mean, all through scripture, you see this. Shamgar, at the very end of Judges chapter three, Shamgar was a farmer. He was the second judge. You know what he did? He killed hundreds of, fill- uh, of people with an ox goat. You know what an ox goat is? It's a stick. It was just somebody said, that's about enough. God, let's do something. God goes, what do you got? He goes, I got a stick. He goes, let's go kill hundreds of people. Who can do that? God can do that. When you take common people who have faith in an uncommon God, they do uncommon things. Just know who you are. And just know who God is. He loves you. Hey, feed these people. We can't feed these people. Well, we found some kid we think we can beat up. He's got five loaves, you know, and, 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 and some fish. But what are these before so great a people? Jesus, bring them to me. Watch what I can do with them. Moses, let my people go. Well, what am I going to do? You got a stick? Great. Use your stick. I could go on and on and on. David, kill the giant. What, I, what are you going to use? You want the armor? No, I got a sling and I got God. That's enough. And you don't even need a sling, a stick, or five loaves and two fish, man. You got to use what you have. Deborah was useful because she knew who she was. And um, she knew, in light of who God was, that God could use her. I tell people all the time, no man is uneducated who knows their Bible and no person is wise who is ignorant of his teachings. So know who you are. You're a child of God waiting to be redeemed or you are a child of God redeemed. And you just pop up your palm tree and you go. Use what you have. I basically already taught you this point right here. Common weak people with faith in a strong God do uncommon things. Use what you have. You got a Bible, you got faith in it. You got a community of friends to encourage you. Change the world. Surrender your heart to God and watch him change the world. Then strengthen the hearts of others. That's what Deborah did, isn't it? Right? Great women and great men make others excel still more. Iron sharpens iron. And Deborah was iron. So who's a Deborah you sit with? And if you're a Deborah, who are the barracks you're calling to summon to sit with you? I'll just read this one little passage. It just fits too well here just to blow it off. And then then the last point's just a sentence. But this is what Paul says when he was writing to the church in Philippi. He says this, for to me to live is Christ, to die is gain. For if I'm to live on in the flesh, this will mean fruitful labor for me. And I do not know which to choose. I'd rather go be with God. I'm ready to rest. But I think if I stay here, it's going to be helpful to others. So I'm hard pressed from both directions. Do I go to, you know, a desire to depart and be with Christ? That's very much better. Yet to remain in the flesh is necessary for you because God still has me here and you need a palm tree. So I'm convinced of this. I know that I'm going to remain and continue with you all for the progress of your faith and your joy. Now watch this. Let me ask you a question. You want to know how to know if you're a Deborah? Girls, you know you're a Deborah if this week there are people because they're near you make progress in their faith and increase in joy. Guys, you want to know how you're a Daniel? This is how you can know. You know because you're not here dabbling with wickedness. You know it's so much better to be with Christ, but because Christ is with you and left you here, it's for one purpose, and that is for you, to help other people progress in their faith and understanding of God, and when they do, they will increase in their joy. And when you live that way, here's your fourth point. Know who you are, use what you have, strengthen the heart of others, watch your God go to work. I've seen it happen, man.
I was a skinny buck tooth kid who was more persuaded by wickedness than truth, who got strong and athletic so I could be wicked like the other strong boys. And I realized who I was was no good king. And so I gave God what I had, which is just a life that had not been spiritually formed as a young man. And I said, well, can you reparent me? And lo and behold, he did. He forgave me. He got rid of the vomit in me, and he had me stop going back to the vomit that I'd cast out. And he started to let me use my life to strengthen others. And just like I pray you will, 20 years ago, I just gathered some friends in this city, and I said, let's just start to do something for others. And God, we're going to watch you go to work. And here you sit. Father, I pray that you would raise up some Debras and some Daniels, some godly men and godly women, some women that seek you first and reject the lie that anything or anyone can satisfy you. I pray that they learn to speak faithfully, that they love others with a godly wisdom and a boldness and a kindness as a faithful completer of others. Father, thank you just for, man, just all the, this is stinking Judges 4, Father. We're, we're in this book that's just like, what is that? What's in there for me? And we had to rush through an hour and leave so much on the table because you love us so much. There's so much good truth there. Would you just give us a hunger for your word, more of it? And would the spirit of God fall on this place right now? Somebody who's thirsty. And would you plant a palm tree of forgiveness and redemption and strength in their life? And would you get the glory? In Jesus' name.